I think I might be the ultimate version of Jason Latour because if there's another version, I will find him and kill him. And you are listening to the ultimate spin. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimate spin. Welcome to Ultimate Spin. My name is Brian, and this is the Spider-Man podcast that looks at a different corner of the web and follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. Coming up in this episode, we'll catch up with part three of the Predator's arc in Radioactive Spider-Gwen number 21. We'll also talk about the long-awaited reveal of Gwenum, what's going on with Marvel Legacy, and a recent article that asked if Gwen's storylines need to change. My name is Jack, and if this is your first time checking out our show, head to ultimatespinpodcast.com. You can download and stream all the previous episodes of just about every Gwen and Miles issue that's ever been released. We've also got exclusive in-depth conversations with the writers and artists for you to check out and enjoy. My name's Kyle, and most importantly, if you're listening to this, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com and tell us what you think of the stories, the art, the characters... And, you know, what obviously brings in the listeners, my wrestling references. Whatever's on your mind, this podcast is by fans, for fans, so we'd love to feature your comments on the show. And before we get into this week's issue, the big news was the long-awaited reveal of Gwenum. Hooray! Hooray! I think we've been talking about and hinting at for a long, long time. I know Robbie, Rico, and Jason have spoken about it quite a few times, including in interviews with us. And I think it lived up to the hype. I think it looks amazing and really, really interesting and unique take on the character. It's funny. I don't think they even knew when they were going to be ready to reveal it. Um, I was following Mm. them on uh, social media and basically said, I think it's okay that we can share this now because of this whole Marvel (laughs) legacy thing, part of the whole renumbering campaign. They revealed a whole bunch of variants to show like which characters are going to be involved and they revealed the Spider-Gwen variant by a different artist. And I want to say it's uh, Carrie Randolph, who does Mosaic. It was the Gwenum design. And so it was like, mm. everyone went like, whoa, this is it. So the, those guys were like, I think we can actually show the real one now. So Robbie posted on Instagram. And then like an hour later, Jason was like putting teases to the, sh- to the costume, the full design. I'm like, we could just go over to Robbie's page and you can just see it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told Jason and, and Robbie's just like... Here it is. In some sort of NDA or something. <laughs> yeah, he, he posted exactly. the, the 360 exactly. so you could see like the full scope of the design. She's got this kind of jacket thing happening, which is it's pretty cool. It reminds me a bit of, uh, obviously, the whole Finn Balor demon persona is I was about kind to say of that venom. As well. yeah. But the whole, obviously, um, Robbie is a wrestling fan. And he's done, a, I think he's done, he's done a variant for the WWE comic as well of Finn Balor. But that's what I saw so as soon as I saw it, just the mouth going down to the neck. Mm. That's, but you know. and, and Finn's done a Venom variant of his own body paint before, hasn't he, as well? So it's just kind of like the, the art inspires the artist who in, then inspires the other artist. And it's a beautiful kind of circle of creators all inspiring each other, which I think is really cool. It's a circle of life. And it moves us all. Anyway. <laughs> as uh, as excited as as we were to see it, I part of me just can't help but wonder if this is signaling the beginning of the end. I mean, Robbie in the past has mentioned 
that uh, Gwenham would be the arc he'd be retiring on. Um, this was yeah, some time ago. Yeah. He meant, I mean, I think it was almost a year ago that he he had brought that up. So who knows if that's still the case? Certainly, we're we're hoping that's not, and that he's sticking around. But um, Jason had also made a comment uh, that this this whole arc has been building up since Spider Gwen issue zero, which is the the Edge of Spider Verse debut. So. If they're going to go out, it looks like they're set to go out on a, on a real big high. But just I'm, we're also crossing our fingers that they're going to be sticking around for a while. Yeah, I'd be really, really sad to see. I, I don't know if Jason would stay around if Robbie left. I know he's talked about um, if if Robbie does leave, then he would maybe pass the character on to a new creator. And, and he spoke about that, like his relationship with, with Brian Michael Bendis when they did the crossover, the Sitting in a Tree crossover. I'd be very intrigued to see if everybody leaves the book at the same time and if we get a totally new creative team on Gwen because I think this book is so successful that it could carry on without those guys but it would be big shoes to fill for anyone who comes in after this team. We'll get into that in a second with this article that we want to talk about about Spider-Gwen and her storylines but just real quick on the whole legacy thing uh, Miles is going to be jumping to issue number 234 with an arc called Sinister Six Reborn. God, what? I don't care about numbering. Really. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people that care way too much for some reason. Oh, yeah, there are people that take that stuff way too seriously, definitely. It kind of just gets annoying that they keep jumping back and forth to numbers that now count. Is that... It doesn't seem like, to me, it seems like why, a why thing. Just continue whatever number in it is. It's not going to make me go, oh, you know what? I need to read the other 200 odd. But then, and then that's me, but there are people that already do that. It's like, oh, I can't read comics now because there's like, like 200 odd issues before, just for the sake of this, obviously. So yeah. there's just too much story for me to catch up. And, and however, what, although I think that is a, dumb mindset to have for the most part anyway because you can just pick up the pieces that you actually need to know off wikipedia that's what it's there for (laughs) well that's kind of the argument for the uh quote-unquote seasons that marvel have been doing where they keep renumbering back to number one after an arc or two or three and then they spin back round and oh now it's ultimate spider-man now it's miles morales ultimate right. spider-man now it's just spider-man and they just keep renumbering it. and they did it they've done it with captain marvel they've done it with a uh, ms marvel they've done it with a bunch of characters and it, i can see the argument like you said kyle a lot of new readers feel incredibly intimidated by those big numbers but like you said it's not like the internet doesn't exist and you can't look at like if this was 20 30 years ago fair enough you don't want to be jumping in at issue 234 because you wouldn't, you literally wouldn't be able to find any back issues unless you go digging around in some garage sale somewhere or something like that. It would be really difficult to do back then, but now it's it's pretty easy to catch up on stuff. You can Google anything and find literal summaries and like page page breakdowns of previous issues and the written history of Spider Gwen and Miles Morales and all that sort of stuff and catch up, be caught up in like ten fifteen minutes, ready for the next arc. But then I do get the whole kind of like completionist thing as well. And some people want to keep the numbers going. And and Batman, the series Batman did that a weird thing where it was like, issue 20, 21, 22, 
24, 25. You're like, no, you can't have it both Oh, they did that for Detective... It was Detective Comics, wasn't it? Was, it? it was Detective Comics, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and that really bugged me how you either have it one or the other and you can't suddenly call it 900 if it's actually 24. But it doesn't bother me as long as I don't flip-flop and swap between the two and celebrate issue 100 of Miles whilst also calling it 256 or whatever it's going to be or... It bugs me you, you can't have it both ways that way, but I don't mind them flip-flopping between the two because I'm going to read it anyway. I'm the kind of person that it, it doesn't affect me. I'm not a completionist. It doesn't bother me that much. Brian, do you do you care much about numbering and stuff like that? I didn't. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a collector, so I wasn't really invested in like, oh, I've got issue number one. I just wanted to follow the story. And so I was I was actually on board with the whole season-based approach. You want to renumber, renumber it? I don't really care, but I think I also wonder if there's confusion then when these get reissued as trades, you know, is it volume one or is it volume one or volume two? Like, how does that work? And that's, that's possibly intimidating or confusing for a new reader. Like which, where do I start? Do I read Spider-Man volume one or Miles Morales volume one? Again, though, I mean, this is, I feel like this is also on the assumption that you're going into a shop to find the answer. Um, Cause I'm pretty sure comiXology itself would distinguish between release dates. Yeah, they tend to divide it by series, so they'll say, like, Spider-Man starting in 2015, blah, blah, blah. That's true, but then you're also asking readers that maybe they just want to, like, they're looking for a jumping-on point, so can they jump on with this one, or do, you know, are they, it's a, the numbering thing, like you were mentioning earlier, Kyle, is like, is there an obligation to read all of them, or can I find out what I need to know? And for we we all read comics and the people listening to this, they all read them as well. But for somebody Nerds. new, it is confusing and you don't necessarily know where to look. Especially younger readers. I, I, I get it. I get the confusion. It's a tricky business thing to balance. And, you know, when you play with the numbers so you can get those huge issues and then sell them at, you know, three times, three or four times the price. Yeah. Business you know. stuff, isn't it? It's all this kind of like just manipulating the audience to like, it's a significant issue because it's 300. Woo. It makes no difference. Now we can charge $10 for that issue instead. Like, yeah, thanks Marvel. But I, I, I should mention, and I'm sure we'll get into it uh, more in our next miles episode, but the teaser for the sinister six reborn uh, seemed to suggest that bombshell was on that team. What? Oh my god! As <laughs> the only bombshell fan here, I thought I for God's sake, can't remember what I tweeted at the time. <laughs> was it uh, uh, like a Darth Vader? Like no. I mean, I don't think it was that dramatic. <laughs> but it's like, oh great, she's finally in the book again. Oh, we tease her a little bit at the beginning. She's in the book again. She gets domed off by um. Oh, the hammerhead. Hammerhead, yep. She gets great car lead, and then... <laughs> then she comes back as a heel. So, oh, for God's sake. Oh, yeah, she's doing a heel turn. Yeah. Classic wrestling. Ding yeah. Mm. May have done four already. I want to go back to uh, what you were saying earlier about uh, if the creative team for Spider-Gwen moved on and, you know, what mm. would be next for the series. And there was an article that uh, came our way from sci-fi.com by Riley Silverman and it had an interesting title, Can Spider-Gwen Be Saved from Her Own Storylines? We'll put a link to it on the show notes for this episode. But Riley is a huge Spider-Gwen fan and she was talking about, 
she's got the merchandise and she's really into it. So she runs into other people and she was wondering, like, for this character, is the general interest, and this is all based on her own experience, is the general interest more focused on the merchandising and maybe the cosplay than the actual series itself? Because in, in her interactions, she was hearing a lot of, well, I don't really follow the series anymore. And so she kind of went on in this essay to, to kind of speculate on some reasons and why that might be and, and what's going on with it. Um, and one of the interesting things was, you know, we talk about Miles being in the Ultimate Universe. And when Spider-Gwen kicked off, Miles was being consolidated into the main one because they said we're going to have one main universe. And then all of a sudden, Earth-65 pops up. And the whole novelty of Earth-65, which was very, at first, which was very similar to the Ultimate experiences, you're seeing familiar characters kind of recast new personalities, maybe new roles yeah, within the story. Yeah. And wondering if, like, that is almost becoming sort of too much to kind of keep track of. And Kyle and I actually fell into that trap in our last Gwen discussion for for issue number 20, when a woman with an eye patch showed up, and we thought it was the Earth-65 equivalent of Nick Fury, completely blanking on the fact that we'd actually seen her before. She's Peggy Carter. It's Peggy Carter. Yeah. yeah. Does it matter? You know, did it matter in the context of the story? No. But then is it more about, you know, some of those continuity references, are they, do they get in the way sometimes? I don't know if they ever get in the way. It's just kind of a, a nice little nod to the fans who are in the know kind of thing. I've never felt like, Jason and Robbie and the guys have ever overstepped their bounds with that kind of thing. I really like Sam Wilson as an example. And I know Riley mentions that in her article as well of how awesome and kick-ass Sam Wilson has been as Earth-65's Captain America. And I feel like none of the references have kind of hindered the book in any way. There's been a couple of like, okay, cool, yeah, sure. They don't, they don't add anything, but they definitely don't bring any negatives to the book in my opinion. It mentions um, the scorpion, where Miles' dad of Earth-65 is the scorpion, and that that is just for the sake of, yeah, we know the scorpion from, 60, from the Marvel Universe is... Whatever it's it, called these days. Yeah. We know what that character is, but here it, it's essentially just for... Okay, you can be the scorpion. Nothing more than that. Which does get annoying. Uh, but... Other than, I feel like you can make references within the dialogue and all that, but without using character. I feel like it's more annoying when it's character names. Hmm. Okay. It's for the explicit reason, oh, we're going to, like, they make a lot of pop culture references throughout the book, and that's fine. So if they were making, like, tongue-in-cheeks references to, six, to 616, that I I would be like okay cool whatever, but is it okay? Here's a, we need a scorpion for this universe. We need a lizard, and we'll get onto the lizard when we actually talk about the book because uh huh. Um, or we need Harry Osborn. We need all these characters, and then we also need to make sure that these big because we're, we're at the point here with Spider Gwen. We're not even like using minor, um, Spider Man villains of Peter. Everybody knows the everybody knows the Osborns. Everybody knows Rhino. Everyone knows the Lizard. It's all these ones. Yeah, we've got Harry Osborn as a Lizard, but it's still the Lizard. If you get what I mean, it's not like using. Um, can't even think of a smaller one off the top of my head. Say the Jackal for the sake of the Jackal. 
he, he's nowhere near the, those level of characters. Like, uh oh. So why are we not using that one more than the one everybody already knows? Short so, of just creating your own, that is. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't, for you guys listening, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I mean, this will, again, we'll, we'll link the article so you can, you can check it out for yourself. But I just want to be clear that Riley is a huge fan. I mean, presents all of her yeah. comments and criticism or, or critique, I should say, in, in a very thoughtful and respectful, supportive way. So I don't, I don't want to give the impression that she's kind of bashing on it. Just such a fan of the character and just wanting, I guess, her to, you know, to stand more on her own if possible. And if that meant, some other things she'd mentioned, like kind of moving away from the potential Miles relationship where, you know, you have the, quote, burden of being Spider-Man's girlfriend versus dating a regular person, kind of like Peter Parker did, someone who's not involved in that world. And uh, she also cited like more focus on hanging out with the Mary Janes because they're just awesome, which I don't think there's going to be any argument on this. Yeah, that, that was the key point i really agreed with riley on like yes more mary janes please it feels like Definitely. it's been ages since they've been there like not when they've all been together not just like a couple of issues where they were like oh her phone's ringing oh she's spider woman on and, tv oh my god yeah yeah they're not just hanging out being bandmates and that I, yeah those goofy moments like they were getting ready to go open for the black cats or you know hanging out at the apartment whatever like or or even the uh at the cabin when they went to to go for their little annual retreat. I those those moments are great. And yeah, we could we could certainly do with more of those. But in this issue, it's a little bit more intense. Should we head over to Madripoor and catch up with the action there? If listeners don't already know, for some reason this is your first time listening to the show. We'd like to give you guys a little bit of a recap, just in case it's been a while since you've read the issue or you've forgotten what's happened for any reason, and you're listening to this far off into the future. Hello from 2017. The Trump era. We pick up with Matt Murdock wheeling and dealing his way to help the towering monster Alexei Sistovich be let free. Meanwhile, in Madripoor, Gwen bumps into the Bento Bandit and tries to restrain Harry's lizard urges. Murdoch knows about S.H.I.E.L.D.'s plan involving Logan and Harry, and he's using Gwen to lure everything into place. DeWolf visits George in jail and warns him that Murdoch is up to something even more sinister than they already know about. Shadowcat and Murderhands finally catch up with Gwen and Osborne as Harry goes full lizard. Lastly, thanks to the aforementioned Lexi, it looks like DeWolf's warning to George is coming true sooner than we expected. This continues the Spider-Gwen tradition of leaving you on a huge cliffhanger. Last time it was, uh, they were surrounded by the ninjas and just jumping ahead to say, yeah, that worked out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was an interesting kind of, I don't know, necessarily shift in pace, but this felt like a bit slower pace than a lot of the other issues have been. We've had some real kind of breakneck speed recently. I think it was two or three issues ago where we were particularly amazed by how dense and how intense the book was. This issue feels intense in a lot of ways, but I feel like this is a slower pace. It's not quite as as crazy as it has been before. And I kind of appreciated it. I like that, that those guys can can play the two sides of, of, of pacing in books. And I really enjoyed this issue for different reasons than usual, if that makes sense. How do you guys feel about the, the pacing of this issue? I actually welcome the shift away from the action. This is This is a very dialogue focus issue and and it's moving yeah, the there there are huge pieces to this very complex 
Murdoch plan. And it's nice to, I, I really enjoyed seeing them get pushed forward uh, further and the tension is just getting ratcheted up. I mean, that courtroom scene, it, it has this weird bounce. Like visually it's, it's really funny actually, just that image of the rhino squeezed into this huge suit and his reaction when the mistrial is declared, he's quoting Daft Punk and, but the, the tension between uh, Murdoch and, and Foggy and like, here we go. Now, like this, the trap is going to be sprung or the, the pieces are going to to move into place. I love that. I enjoyed those parts. It comes back to now. I feel like I'm just getting more bored of anything whenever the lizard, Harry is there as a lizard. Yeah. What, what's up? I kind of alluded to it earlier when I was talking about the whole sake of names, using characters for the sake of just using it. And it's, Obviously, it might be because we know that at some point this is going to end up with Gwenham. And I just don't care anymore. It's like this, they keep going, <laughs> oh, I'm, it's, I'm slowly transitioning to the lizard. And by the end of the issue, he is the lizard again. In Basically, the lizard's taken over. And it's like, okay, just do that then. I would much rather... How he either be a totally separate character or they just use Connors as the lizard again. They feel like they've run their course with this the interaction that Gwen can have with Harry because I feel like she's already said this to him before. She's already told him near enough these exact same things before. So we're just right, going in circles yeah. about it. So are you saying like knowing that Gwenham is coming anyway that that kind of deflated the the tension, or you're just bored? You're just bored of it anyway. Both, because knowing that the whole it's only that Harry Harry getting his um, mutation taken away will lead to Gwenham. So that is that has a factor in it. But like I said, we're having she's having this basically having the same conversation with him again. Like just don't lose control be better than this and all this. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I I see that. I think, I mean, it's also the, I guess there's the bigger picture aspect of it too, right? She's being pushed further and further back into this corner and she's trying to save her dad and she's trying to save her friend and she's also trying to keep her spider powers. So she's just in a no-win situation, but she's desperately kind of i mean i saw this conversation as more just like flailing and desperate just like come on dude keep it together you know I, i'm trying to i'm trying to make this work for everybody so I, I to me that's like the the tragedy or the impending tragedy of the whole gwenham thing like she's gonna have to give up everything yeah i get that i can see that side of things i do agree with kyle in a way that i'm finding harry to be the least interesting part of the book at the moment just mm. because the Murdoch plan, as you mentioned, Brian, there are so many moving pieces and it's so complicated. And he is really not sure revealing himself because we know he's the kingpin, but like he's really showing his hand and proving, pun intended, that he is a big deal and knows what's going on and is five steps ahead of everyone else and is not just kind of winging it as he goes. He has got this planned out and he is going to betray anyone and everyone that he has to and stuff like that. I really like this take on Matt Murdock, which I've kind of said a lot on this show before and how ruthless and intimidating he is, even for a, a small blind lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I really love that we get to see Murder Hands, because I refuse to call him Logan now that he has that ridiculous name. With his Han Solo entrance. Of course. Like Han Solo <laughs> saving Luke at the Death Star. Just like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that. And I particularly enjoy the Kitty Pride that we get in this issue as well. It was obviously in, in the last issue as well. I love this kind of Wolverine-esque bounty hunter thing. I wonder if there's a version of X-23 out there who's also a bounty hunter and the whole Weapon X program is a bunch of adamantium-clawed crazy people going around and being bounty hunters across Earth-65. I like the idea that there's a whole team of them somewhere. What'd you make of the DeWolf and George conversation? Kind of straight up foreshadowing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I, I do like their little kind of I mean, relationship's the wrong word, but like their dynamic that that works really well together and and George's dry wit and kind of he's clearly had enough of what's going on. He's like, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I'm just trying to deal with it. And even if everything works out, my life's never going to be the same again. I appreciate the kind of help, but... And he he still believes in himself. And I really love that about George. I like the, He ends with that, I need people to look into my eyes line which is such a fantastic moment and that that panel is the perfect shot to see the blue in the irises and and just get there you really it makes you sympathize with george and i feel like we haven't seen that much of him recently compared to the usual kind of father-daughter moments we would get that we we cherished so much in earlier issues getting george kind of by himself but still standing his ground and still staying true to himself. And he, he hasn't been defeated by this, by the system and by what's happened yet. You say foreshadowing and that actually like foreshadowing for what? Because it was so kind of on the nose and he's, is he's such a noble and mm. likable character. It's like, I I can't help but think of Southern bastards. I'm like, please, <laughs> like I really want him to stick around, but. Oh yeah. no! Is he is he gonna is he gonna tub us? I don't know. Is like are we gonna? You know, into, oh. I like to think that George Stacy and Earl Tub would have been friends in in another another dimension. But uh, yeah, it, that scene actually made me quite tense because it was it was right out of something like The Wire. You know, or, or, oh definitely. Like yeah. you have a character just kind of like stating what they're all about and kind of getting the audience, giving them hope and everything. Like, oh, please don't take it away. <laughs> this is generally such an upbeat book but it's it's heading in such a dark direction so i don't know i i found that innocuous conversation to be actually quite tense it doesn't hurt the fact that because you got it's the sense of naivete right this is it's as simple as oh i'm just gonna go and tell them the truth um they'll look into my eyes they'll know i'm not lying and all this in fact yeah normally that would kind of be kind of annoying but i think that because of the character that george is I can let that pass, and it doesn't bother me at all. And then, obviously, he's about to get wrecked. (laughs) That's one way of putting it, yeah. Let's talk about the art. What were some of your highlights? There's only one answer, and it's X-23, Shadow Cat, whatever, coming out the wall behind Gwen. Holy crap, that was amazing. It's one of the better moments. And don't forget how much I love the Smash Brothers part of um, Last Issue, with the names (laughs) coming up. Of of all the and the creative team, mm-hmm. but now in recent, I'm gonna go out on the limb now. Within recent memory, this is that was probably my favorite stylistic panel. 
a, that's a bold choice because bold. these 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 books are absolutely full of crazy and unusual and stylized incredible panels. I really like the speaking of stylized panels when the rhino just punches the guard and you get the whamp and the stars and the kind of pink the classic hot pink and orange explosion going on behind him and you just this fist that is literally bigger than the guy's chest let alone his head and it's just a fantastic kind of terrifying moment you're like okay this this could be this could work out and then you realize what's going on and the rhino pulls no punches quite literally and the the color choices on that panel too in sequence it just it pops out from the what is it yeah uh, five that's, panels that's on that exactly, page yeah exactly what i'm talking about yeah everything's kind of you get the gray of rhino's hand and even the orange of his jumpsuit is kind of washed out and it's this kind of earthy dull tones of the blues and the grays and then bright pink hyper bright blue electric blue sound effects that we've you know we've come to know and love from this book over over the issues and over the months but absolutely out of nowhere i think it works so well as a as a dynamic shift in tone in that in that page out of nowhere <laughs> i had a different panel that really just kind of popped out for me it, it it's a quiet moment but i really liked it and it's uh Gwen and Harry just finished ripping off the convenience store with the Bento Bandit, by the way, which was ridiculously yeah. funny. But uh, they duck into the alley and he's, you know, scarfing down the food and she dumps out her bag. And in that bag, out pops her phone, her drumsticks, a da- the novelization of the Dad Cop movie, uh, keys to her job at the Dollar Dog, uh, her power-ups, and an iPod, which is uh, for our younger listeners, um, something that people used to carry their music around instead of their phones. Sure, did um, they grant that? God. <laughs> and they just, but for me, I love that because those, the contents of that bag, it's like the perfect distillation of her character right there. Like yeah. the music and the, you know, her dad and even like her retro style, like for pop culture references, she's, you know, quoting things like the Golden Girls and, and other random things that a kid her age probably shouldn't know about, and yet she does. Um, so I thought the iPod in particular was a nice touch uh, in that sense. But those items, I love that. Like that's that's who the character is. You know, that's our Earth sixty five Gwen right there. It was it was great. I like how this book is so adept at balancing those hyper crazy moments and then those super quiet moments as well. Whether you get it with Gwen and Harry or Gwen and George that we talked about before, and how poignant those moments were balanced with the crazy colorful action that you see in in the same issue and i find it amazing how particularly robbie and rico can balance those so perfectly in one issue and you don't feel you know kind of exhausted by either one if you have an entire issue of just one it would maybe be a bit too much but i think they struck a really nice balance here even though as you said, Brian, the, the pacing kind of slowed with it being quite dialogue heavy and not quite as action packed as we've seen in the past. And then that final cliffhanger page with that huge, you know, just the rhino just towering over George. And just based on the book, how it's been going, like, I fully expect to not see an immediate resolution to that. We'll just jump ahead and see george in a wheelchair or covered in stitches and pandas or something he's either in the hospital or the rhino is laid out on the ground because another cop came in and shot him something like that no (laughs) it could be the great underdog story 
George could put up a fight. He could be the Rey Mysterio of the story. Jesus Christ. It could be great. Nah, it's not going to happen. No. So, sorry, old man. So, with all this, as we wrap up this this little bit of discussion, we don't like to do scores. We don't like to give letter grades. We prefer to give you a little, quick little three word summary. So, Brian, let's start off with you. In three words, what, how would you describe this issue? The boiling point. Ooh. Wow. You, what about you, Jack? I'm going to go welcome pace change. How about you, Mr. McPherson? George's getting wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, that's what we thought of this book, but we would love to hear what you guys thought of it. So you can reach us at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com or head to ultimatespinpodcast.com and click on the Talk to Us button. We're over on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin, Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast. And on Instagram at ultimate underscore spin underscore podcast. And we use the hashtag Spider Gwen, Miles Morales, and Spider Man. You can also search for Ultimate Spin and find our older episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And we should mention over on iTunes, we were uh, fortunate enough to receive some very kind reviews that we'd like to share with you guys. Yeah, Jack, I think you should read the first one. Because from our very knowledgeable and very um, intelligent pl- fan base, why don't you read the first one from um, Fat Gandalf? So our first review comes from Fat Gandalf. Fantastic name. He says, or she, perhaps, been listening for a while now. Big Spider-Gwen collector and this podcast is a necessity that coincides with the monthly Spider-Comic experience. Also, this most recent episode, I love Kyle's enthusiasm. Really brought the episode together. Good work, guys. Wow. Very nice, Kyle. I know. Um, I think if it's the episode that I'm thinking of, is it the one where Jack wasn't there? <laughs> Was it, you were just more enthusiastic than you could. All i got to say, sense. for the people... That would, that would bring your enthusiasm out if you don't have me to yeah. just talk Mr. you down new the whole time. And, Mr. New and Newsworthy podcast, yeah. I am Mr. Enthusiasm. What's that got to do with anything? I jam. It's because you're out there making all the fancy money. Yeah, oh yeah, but and anyway, so much literal no money. Stop talking about yourself, right? Um, thank you, Fat sorry, Mister Enthusiasm. The real MV- you are the real MVP. Thank you very much for taking the time to post review. We really appreciate it. But we got another one actually. It's titled "Prime Time Miles Got the Ultimate Spotlight" from Adakombi from the UK. This podcast ga- got me reading Miles Morales, and I'm sure glad it did. This podcast has great discussions and a great chemistry. Every issue of Miles I read in anticipation for this podcast to come out. Keep up the good work for you are the ultimate podcast. Ah, You are the ultimate podcast is fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks uh, thanks for those kind words and I'm glad you're you're checking out Miles because of our show. Yeah, there's there's a lot to uh, to discover and enjoy and we're glad that you guys are reading along with us. And if you want to follow our other adventures outside of this podcast, gentlemen, where can the people find us? Well, you can find me on the Twitter and Instagram, not Facebook, allow me, at just Kyle MC. you know, 
wrestling. You know, I I feel like I need to make some wrestling references every now and then. So, really, I hadn't noticed. That'd be a nice change of pace, actually. Yeah, no, maybe I'll start doing that. On yes, the show. that'd be lovely. I'll make more wrestling references. <laughs> you don't do it enough. I know. I'm robbing the people. But anyway, you can follow me on those social medias. Oh, I'm on Snapchat as well. I mean, I'll take any amount of follower anywhere. Just Kyle MC. Mr. No Creativity. You get me? Just easier that way. So, that's how you can find me. Jack. JLW Chambers on everything. You have just Kyle MC. I have JLW Chambers. It's literally every possible social media apart from, like, Pinterest. I think, actually, I, I probably have some dormant Pinterest account somewhere. I also host a few other podcasts as well about comics. Intercomics podcast is my main other show. And I do one about films called The Sequelizers as well. You can check those out through my Twitter and, and through my website as well. How about you, Brian? Twitter, Instagram, other podcast projects. Um, you can find that all at project37.net. Also want to give a shout out to our friends at superiorspidertalk.com. Not only do they host our episodes there, along with all kinds of uh, spider book reviews, they are also the home to the amazing Spider Talk podcast, which if you haven't checked it out before, now is the perfect time to do that as they've just relaunched their show. Uh, they are no longer going to be held strictly to the release schedule for Amazing Spider-Man, but they're going to be going uh, more in depth and pre presenting more of a comprehensive historical view of the character. It's it's setting itself up to be a pretty interesting and an in-depth listen. So go uh, head over to SuperiorSpiderTalk.com to find the podcast, or you can search for Amazing Spider-Talk, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. That is it for us for now, but coming up, Spider-Man number 18 shows that Hammerhead isn't so funny after all. The New York City gang war is heating up, and Miles is getting a little too involved. This won't end well. Then, the moment five years in the making finally arrives as we learn the truth about the other Miles Morales in Spider-Man 2. Hallelujah. Yes, lots of great stuff ahead, and we'll be there to read and talk about it all with you. So we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin. Ultimate Spin.